0: Ladies and gentlemen, Benall of
1: America! And now, ladies and gentlemen, Banal of America Audio, with your host, Tim Benall. Friends, this is Tim Benal of BanalofAmerica.com with another edition of BOA Audio Season 4. Welcome to 2009, folks. It is going to be an amazing year, let's hope. Hope you had a very safe and joyous New Year's celebration. As you may have guessed here on the program this week, we are going to put the final nails in the coffin of 2008 as we wrap up our year in ufology with special guests Nick Redfern and Greg Bishop. In the first ever true dual interview episode of BOA Audio, interesting note that I didn't even know about till I saw Greg Bishop's post about the dual interview at UFO Mystic is that this is the first ever Nick Redford and Greg Bishop interview. They'd never appeared on a program together before, so it's historic in a way, as we finally got the UFO Mystics together in one place for a lengthy interview. As I'm sure you discerned from the musical introduction of the program, we are going to be talking also about the Bigfoot hoax from Midsummer. Even though this is a ufology year in review, we got to talk about the Bigfoot hoax. It was probably the biggest esoteric story of the year, if not number two behind Stephenville, but it was a massive story. And if we're going to do 2008 any justice, if we're talking about the year in review, even though we're going to be delving 90% into ufology, you got to talk about the Bigfoot hoax. Unlike part one, which saw us cover a myriad of stories, probably close to 10 or 13, in part two, the number of topics has cut down greatly to about 6 to 8, so there's a lot more in-depth discussion on some of these big stories from the latter half of 2008. Here's the lineup of what we're going to be covering here. We're going to dissect the Edgar Mitchell UFO disclosure, I put that in quotes. The Bigfoot Body Hoax of mid-August, Blossom Goodchild's UFO non-event from October, the election of Barack Obama, and the ongoing subsequent UFO disclosure push, including the Million Facts on Washington movement, the folding of Alien Worlds magazine in December, and the dual celebrity endorsements of ufology from UK pop superstar Robbie Williams and American actor Keanu Reeves. Plus, we're going to remember Eric Beckyard and Monsignor Corrado Balducci, both of whom passed away in 2008. Closing out the discussion, we're going to talk about what esoteric genres are hot and what genres are not as 2008 comes to a close. What fields had their momentum built up? What fields stalled out? We're going to be talking about all that stuff, plus what genres may be on the rise in 2009. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Nick Redfern and Greg Bishop, push over that rock you're living under because you've got to find out about the UFO mystics. I'm not going to give you the bios, because I'll be here all day reading both of them. They are highly decorated esoteric researchers. You can find out more from them at nickredfern.com. That's obviously Nick Redfern's website. Greg Bishop's sites are excludedmiddle.com or R A D I O M I S T E R I O S O R-A-D-I-O-M-I-S-T-E-R-I-O-S-O.com. Want to check that out? One of the very best podcasts on the internet for paranormal radio I give it a five-star recommendation, and a show you definitely should be listening to alongside BOA Audio. And, of course, they post under the collective title UFO Mystic. You can find them at ufomystic.com, an essential daily stop for any UFO enthusiast online who wants to get quality UFO news, you get it at ufomystic.com. Check that out. So those are the websites. Check them out for more information about Nick Redfern and Greg Bishop. One other thing I want to note before we start the interview, for those folks who don't listen to the end of the program, I don't want you to be confused. In January here, when you don't hear any BOA audio, it's time for our annual winter hiatus. Every January, we take the month off to cultivate new conversations and tape a whole new batch of BOA audio interviews. That is what's going on here after this week's episode is posted. Although, I'll be honest, I'm probably going to take about five days to... Relax, because I've been working nonstop for the last six weeks, at least, on BOA Audio, Banal of America, and my outside web work. So sit back, relax, enjoy the latter half of this marathon conversation, and come on back in late January of 2009 for all new BOA Audio episodes. I'll have a little teaser at the end of the program, reveal one of the guests who will definitely be on when we come back to the Internet Airwaves. And, of course, stay tuned to all of America throughout the month of January. We've got a bunch of new columnists coming on board BOA, a new spinoff of Richard Thomas's Room 101, and I'll have a bevy of teasers for what's going to be coming down the pike on BOA Audio as 2009 unfolds. Without any further ado, let's close the book on 2008, my friends. This dual interview was recorded on December 17, 2008. Nick Redfern and Greg Bishop. The UFO Mystics, talking about the latter half of 2008, on BOA Audio, Season 4. The next story was another non-story, another UK UFO files-style story that I'm sure you guys have heard many times, but somehow once again became a national story. I don't understand this in 2008, but it happened again. That's the Edgar Mitchell UFO disclosure, in quotes, non-story, picked up all over the place. On July 24th-ish, around that time, the end of July, I remember it being a big story. But I will say, thankfully, many people in esoterica online... We're hip to the game at this point, and we're like, wait a minute, this isn't a story. This happened already like three or four years ago. But it was frustrating too, in a way, because it was like, Jesus, like we get it, but the mainstream media doesn't get it, and they don't seem to understand that they reported this story probably like three or four years ago, and they're still reporting the same story like it's news again. So I don't know, let's talk about the Edgar Mitchell UFO disclosure in quotes. You're quite
2: right, Tim, but I mean, for those of us within ufology, you know, the, the Mitchell story, it's an interesting story. There's no doubt about that, you know, of him having spoken with high-level people and, you know, the idea that UFOs as alien crafts exist and have visited us, etc. Um, but it, but it, you're right, it's not a new story. It's just, you know, it was actually presented... It surfaced on a British radio show called Kerrang! Radio. Kerrang! is actually a rock music magazine in Britain which started off in the 80s as like classic heavy metal based and then through the years it went through rock and you know now it covers all sorts of alternative guitar based music rock music etc but they have their own radio show and I've done the show a few times with link-ups from from over here and they had Mitchell on talking about you know his his basic story of what he's been told and and things he's heard, etc., and of course, you know, it became big news. Although it wasn't necessarily a completely new story, but I, again, I think part of the reason is because of who was relating the story. You know, it was coming from an astronaut um, who set foot on the moon. So, you know, in that respect, I can I can fully appreciate and understand why the story surfaced and why it's attracted so much attention around the world because, you know, the media does have short memories. Someone has, I mean, having worked on newspapers, I know that, you know, freelancers particularly come and go and somebody may well not remember fully that something was covered three or four years ago and it gets covered again. You know, that that happens a lot within the media. Um, but there's, there's little, really, commentary you can make upon the story because, you know, we really need the people who Mitchell spoke with to come forward and have them reveal their testimony, you know, the person behind the story. The person telling the story made the story popular because, you know, the guy has a fine reputation as a as an astronaut. Um, I'd be more interested in speaking to the people who told him that they know all this is going on. Yeah. I think that 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 would be the story for me.
1: What about you, Greg? What do you think about this—the uh, Edgar Mitchell UFO non-disclosure, if you will?
0: Well, uh, ditto everything that Nick said. Um, I think some of those people have spoken to us, although not the same—you know, the same kind of people, uh, not the same, but not the same people that spoke to Mitchell. Um, and the way I look at it is, um, what it does is it brings up this issue why does somebody with as good a reputation and in such a position that Edgar Mitchell is believe that there's aliens on the planet and that uh, we know that they're here and there's some contact with them? That That's where my government doesn't know anything and doesn't want to reveal it to us falls apart. How can somebody like this say that? What does he know? Um, and what do the people know that have told him? And are they telling him the truth? And why is he so convinced of such a thing and has said it repeatedly? There's other, you know, there, there's 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 plenty of other people in the government that are, that are not uh, have connections that are not nearly as public as uh, Edgar Mitchell have said the same thing. Uh, I don't have an explanation for that, and, and Michael Solan, everybody can laugh at me for it. But maybe <laughs> it just comes down to you know what you want to believe, and um, how you know what you accept into your worldview as it's told to you. And also on the other side of it, you know, what's the motivation of the people telling, telling, uh, Mitchell and, and other people like this, these stories? Why are they telling them that? Who's pulling that string from, from wherever? Are they pulling the string because it's a true one or because they want a public, uh, idea, uh, idea to get out in the public that, that says the government knows that there's aliens and, and, uh, and has interaction with them? uh aliens from other planets i mean not not from other dimensions or whatever yeah we're dealing with that because his the the idea is it's extraterrestrials from another another planet visiting us and um yeah that 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 that's like the big the big x the big um uh, kind of the the straw that breaks the camel's back in my in my mind about my my ideas and so you know when i hear that it 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 both inspires me and worries me <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, I wanted to take another tack. Does that make any sense? Oh, yeah, it made sense. Okay.
0: <laughs> it, it, when I get into these areas, sometimes I start to babble because I'm not exactly sure where my footing is anymore. I'm fine with that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, uh, if if the government was going to reveal something, I think I should have revealed something by now unless they – don't know what they're doing. I don't know what they're dealing with. And according to Edgar Mitchell, some people do know what they're dealing with, and that's that's uh, that's 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 not disturbing. It's kind of confusing to me.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I see what you mean. It is uh, it is strange, but I kind of see also what you mean by that maybe it's they're floating it up the flagpole. And then the the question or the observation I wanted to make, and then sort of turn it over to you guys is that just based on the way the media picked up on this story and the way we've kind of observed here that the media is changing in the last few years, and in a way to tie it on to what Nick said about the UFO flap in the UK, about how some people, they hear about other uh, people see UFOs, and then they feel it's okay to talk about UFOs. I kind of feel like maybe that's the attitude of the media right now, not so much that there's this overarching media cover-up that people in ufology desperately want to believe in, but that it's a combination of laziness and uh, fear of ridicule, and that they really want this story and would welcome a UFO disclosure story if uh, they weren't the first ones to talk about it, or if they had the solid enough footing where they were, you know, their reputations would be still intact, if you will. But it seems like the the mainstream media isn't running from UFO disclosure but they're certainly not going to run towards it. What do you think of that?
2: Well, you know, I think when it comes to the media, you know, and UFOs, you can apply their attitude to the UFO subject, to a lot of subjects. I think the media latches onto things that are in in the public arena or that have captured the public's imagination. You know, whether it's, you know, reality TV or some pop star or whatever – you know, you, you look at the, the magazines at the, on the checkout counters, you know, they're full of the same faces, Paris Hilton, Britney Spears, and nothing wrong with that. There's a lot of people who enjoy reading about all that sort of stuff. But, you know, it's when one magazine follows a story of one celebrity, the others pick up on it and everybody's looking for the story. And I think, to an extent, you know, there's there's some lazy journalism, but I think also that's just the nature of the media. I think there is sometimes... a a tendency for people in the UFO subject to think that we're ufologists and everybody else is the human race. When in reality we're all human beings. And so the way the UFO community acts or the media acts or, you know, how a bunch of, I don't know, university professors act or a bunch of cheerleaders act, you know, that that's just the nature of human beings. And I think we shouldn't look for any special reason why the media follows the ufo subject they're doing it because the media is in the in the in the realm to, to sell newspapers you know to get viewing figures up etc cetera, etc cetera. and if they can do it through bringing people forward in, with a ufo story but next year that drops off and astrology is a big thing they'll do that so.
1: yeah yeah so you kind of got what i was saying there we're kind of in agreement there uh that it's not some overarching cover up; it's just human nature, the, the way that this thing's going down. What do you think, Greg? Well, what I said and what Nick said.
0: Well, yeah, I would I would agree with everything you said. It's it's um, it's faddish, and it's uh, it, if something's okay to talk about, somebody has to take the lead with that, be it one new news organization or or uh, a newspaper or a TV show or whatever. I mean, if a, if a story breaks and it seems to have legs, and there's there's fairly respectable people behind it, yeah, they'll follow it up. Um, and, of course, I think that, you know, in isolated cases, there have been cover-ups on certain things, Not you know, maybe some to do with UFO stories, but probably mostly to do with, you know, government uh, screw-ups or illegal things or... Malfeasance or whatever—I think those can masquerade as a UFO cover-up, especially if the UFO cover-up has to do with a um, some sort of uh, military project. But you know, in general, if there's, you know, like Nick said, if if one if one uh, person or group takes the news organization takes the lead, the the others will follow, and that's you know, there hasn't been any UFO story ever. I think that 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 uh, becomes you know the touchstone of of uh yes, they're here, and it's okay to believe about it but um as as the years go on, I think people get a little bit less um cynical and maybe a little bit more interested, and that includes the you know people doing the news reporting who are human too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I know this is the year in ufology, two thousand eight, uh, year in ufology, year in review. But we're going to touch on a couple of uh, crypto type stories uh, because they were one was a massive story, and one and then and the following one was a passing of someone who was, you know, dabbled in a lot of different realms and mainly yeah. cryptozoology. But we'll we'll talk about uh, Mr. Beckjord in a moment after we get to the Bigfoot body bonanza, my favorite story of two thousand eight. The absolute uh, high-comedy, farcical nature of this thing was amazing. I couldn't believe how big it got. I know I was out in L.A. at the time and and visiting Greg and visiting my family out in San Diego, and I was like, this is unbelievable. And I still have screen captures from CNN.com where the front-page story was Bigfoot press conference. And I was like, I don't know if I'll ever live to see the day. I never thought I would even, even though it turned out to be a horrific nightmare of a story, it was uh, quite compelling to to be watching it unfold. You've been intimately involved in the cryptozoology world, Nick. So I guess, what are your thoughts, first and foremost, on on the whole story and how it happened and how it unfolded uh, this past summer?
2: Well, you know, I mean, first and foremost, I would agree with exactly what you said, Tim, about, you know, would you ever see anything like this again? And I think... You know, regardless of what people's personal thoughts are in the aftermath of it, there's absolutely no doubt that it was, you know, like this huge unfolding soap opera slash saga. That, you know, it was, were you there when the Bigfoot body story began? you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. yeah. It's like, were you there when Kennedy was shot? Um, You know, it was a piece of, like it or not, it was a piece of 40 and history and it always will be. Now, you know, 14 history doesn't always have to be good, but there's there's absolutely no doubt that it was a major significant part of the cryptozoological world in 2008, but not, <laughs> not for good reasons. Um, but it did take upon, you know, legendary status, and there's absolutely no doubt that for a while there were certain players in the subject who were thinking, well, wow, you know, maybe this – Maybe this time someone has got a body. Um, I mean, I kind of liken it a little bit to the whole thing that kicked off in the 90s in England when Ray Santilli unleashed the alien autopsy film. Uh, you know, very similar scenario. Here's the proof it's going to be unleashed. Media all turns up. There's a big press conference. The story breaks, you know, at work the next day. Everybody's like, wow, did you see the TV yesterday? Or have you read the newspapers about this body, etc., um, And the thing with the alien autopsy film is that that took longer to unravel, whereas the Bigfoot story unraveled very quickly. Yeah. Now, my thoughts as far as what was going on at the time, I think most people in the UFO field, despite what the media, you know, there's a lot of media hype saying, oh, you know, these cryptozoologists and monsters who just fell for it and now look at them. That is actually what happened. Most researchers and certainly pretty much everybody I knew was very, very cautious and just took very much a wait-and-see, patient, quiet approach and just waited day by day to see what happens. But the media didn't want that. They wanted, oh, you know, the, uh, the poor old cryptozoologists once again have been proven to be just eccentrics and, you know, myth chasers. That actually wasn't at the roots of what was going on. In the wake of it, I think I would have to say it's a a big tragedy for several reasons. I think people who believe they've genuinely seen Bigfoot or the Loch Ness Monster or any sort of weird creature will be, and they don't have proof, or maybe they've got a blurry photograph, will be extremely cautious about coming forward and going on a mainstream news show and having the journalist who's interviewing them say, or the TV anchor interviewing them and say, Oh, well, why should we believe you when that whole story of last year, you know which was going to trumpet you as the biggest thing ever that collapsed? So why should we believe you? I think that will go through a lot of witnesses' minds. I think there's also the fact that that will relate or translate to the to the crypto community as well. you know whenever someone's got a new book out on Bigfoot, inevitably the bigfoot hoax story is going to surface and is going to be used as a way of demolishing any um, reality and credibility that the subject has. Now, it doesn't mean it will diminish the credibility or the respectability, but it can be used quite easily to do so if they choose to go down that path. And I think that's the biggest problem with hoaxes, is that they inevitably – and if it's a big hoax and a successful one and it gets so much attention, it has a knock-on effect on – what is hopefully you know the the genuine aspects of the subject
1: all right what did you think Greg? i know you and i were right on the ground uh during the bigfoot body bonanza so uh what, what were your thoughts on it
0: you know what i just thought it was uh, i thought it was really funny i really enjoyed watching it i was exceedingly cynical about it to begin with <laughs> with that little smidgen of hope that you have you know
1: yeah i'll i'll say too that to sort of jump on what you just said there at the end there was a, I'll be honest, and, and as cynical as I am, there was a moment there during that week before the press conference, and uh, before I really kind of knew who the players were, but as it was really sort of heating up, that uh, I know that I wasn't, there was a lot of uh, stuff going on at the time. And, uh, you know, I was kind of thinking to myself, maybe this could be it. But, mm. of I course.
2: Everybody thought about that for a second or two.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it was exciting in that way. And, like I said, uh, to see it, received such prominent coverage, and it did have relatively positive coverage till it became quickly apparent that it was a, a hoax. Mm. And, uh, you know, like, uh, I'll have to send you guys or post on the year-in-review page those screen captures of the CNN. These weren't, you know, Bigfoot hoax headlines. These were Bigfoot body found or something, you know. And it was like, in a way, it was like living in an alternative universe or or getting to see what it would actually be like for a brief moment if one of these stories really did break and and become solved. So that was exciting to be able to watch it just for that brief moment until the House of Cards fell apart.
0: Yeah, I didn't think it was that big of a problem until um, I started thinking about what Nick said, is that the, the people will be much more reluctant, at least for a while, to come forward with the. Any kind of sighting of of of, uh, of a of a crypto a cryptoid for a while um and you know that that's not good that 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 diminishes the the access we have to uh to uh studying whatever it is may be there and um you know just as you talked about how you know what a big fiasco it was if you had a real conspiratorial bent of mind, you'd think that these guys were hired by somebody like Psychop or something to to just heap ridicule upon the the, the cryptozoological community just by their actions. Because, it, you know, when you look at it, you think, what did they think they were going to get away with?
1: Yeah, exactly. They
0: think they were going to get some money before somebody was, was able to examine, you know, a, a gorilla suit or whatever it was, a monkey suit with a bunch of, a bunch of, you know, possum guts in it or whatever it was. I don't know what they thought they were trying to get away with. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure they were playing it for money, but, you know, who's going to give them money before they, before they have the, you know, have the, whatever the word is in Latin, before they had the body. Um, maybe they thought people were stupid enough to do that. I don't know. But, the, you know, it, I think it was basically played for the money angle and they just timed it wrong and they didn't count on people being as inquisitive and and uh, sharp as they were before any actual money was handed over.
1: Yeah, and my impression, too, was that they were playing it for the money and then they got mixed up with Biscardi, who's a natural promoter, and then it turned into it – it got way out of their hands. Do you know what I mean? I don't know how much – there's an ongoing debate, I guess, from what I understand, about how much he knew – Beforehand, before the big press conference and all that, but I think it, I think they, you know, uh, hoaxers and hoaxers, you know, collided in a way and, and it turned into a, a, a bigger clusterfuck than could possibly be imagined, probably on anyone's part. Yeah, you know, you know what? Like if something
0: real, quote unquote, real happens, I think it's going to be with a lot less fanfare, and people are going to find out about it after the fact, whether it be UFOs or, or Bigfoot or the Loch Ness Monster or whatever. I mean, the the kind of person who would who would be honest about that about that kind of discovery does not strike me as the kind of person that was that's going to make a circus out of it. I I, I could be wrong. I hope you know. I hope I'm not. But I mean, a whimper rather than a bang. These things will be
1: be be revealed. I'll keep that in mind. Uh. <laughs> Uh, The next thing is the other half of the crypto duo of uh, the summer of 2008, and uh, I guess I'll turn this one over to Nick, because he's a little more focused also in the crypto realm. Greg will have something to say, too, about this passing. Yes, Eric Becciord, who passed away, kind of a mysterious death from what I understand, not in the way he died, but just in the timeline of his death. I think people heard about it at the end of August, but then it turned out he had died like two months earlier and no one knew, or something strange like that, but... I've only been in this field for about four years, and I know Eric Beckyord was in the field for quite a long time before I came along, so he was a little before my time as well. And I know you guys probably have had, if not some interaction with him, definitely uh, knowledge of of his work and and his some stories from uh, Eric Beckyord's days in esoterica. <laughs> So uh, we'll we'll start with Nick here on on Eric Beckyord passed away here in 2008. Let's remember him a little bit.
2: Yeah, I, I first uh, I met Eric for the first time actually. I can remember exactly when it was and where it was. It was in a pub in Wiltshire, England called the Barge, which is one of the main hangouts in the whole Crop Circle season. And Eric would sometimes go over to Britain in the in the summer and you know check out the crop circles like everybody else was. And uh, I can remember him walking around kind of mysteriously. Um, with this huge Big leather Kind of like a briefcase But kind of bigger Just bulging with papers And things And just You could tell You know Begging everybody to ask What he got in there <laughs> He was kind of acting <laughs> <having laughs> Mysterious And uh, a little bit aloof And uh, that was sort of My first exposure to Eric And uh, I can remember That first year Just you know Every Seems to be everywhere you go Eric was there Kind of lurking in the shadows And he'd be Hi How's it going <laughs> I that and, um, and then I didn't hear from him for years. And actually, last year, um, and even earlier this year, towards the very start of this year, January, February, um, he phoned me quite often, um, just to chat about cryptozoology. Now, a lot of people had quite controversial run-ins with, um, Eric, you know, where the conversation would get really heated and, and loud. Um, I never actually experienced that. He just used to phone me up and say, hey, what's going on? And, um, always used to have strange suggestions. You know, you need to apply to go on this particular TV show. I think you'll be good on this one. And <laughs> things like that. Um, and I think he, one of the, well, I know one of the reasons why he used to phone me was because he had a, a deep interest in the whole issue of Bigfoot as it relates to some of the more stranger paranormal aspects of the subject, which yeah. is one that, for a lot of cryptozoologists it's like, oh no, 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 you know, we don't go down that path. It's all flesh and blood. Um now for me, you know, there's there's no doubt in my mind that there's a considerable body of evidence to suggest that um Bigfoot kinda of goes in hand in hand with weird shit. Um, <laughs> to put it bluntly. That there's more going on than just some sort of lumbering ape wandering around the woods and conveniently never getting caught. And Eric Eric seemed to go to more extreme lengths with that sort of theory than I did, and you know, I kind of never got the brunt of his uh, the other side of Eric because um, you know we, we're quite agreeable on things. But I do know, and maybe Greg has had some experience. I don't know, or some anecdotes that some people who were had a differing of opinion to Eric. You know, they they had far more <laughs> amusing and memorable stories than mine, which are unfortunately a little bit boring and just. You know, sort of genial conversations, but I mean, there are some people I know who uh, who could tell stories all night. I'm sure.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I remember reading in in uh, the Excluded Middle anthology. I think it was an interview with Jim Mosley, that I'm not positive. <laughs> Greg would remember, I'm sure, where he recounts his meeting with Eric uh, Beckyard, where Eric got into an argument with him about. What time they were going to meet, or something like that? Do you recall what I'm talking about?
0: Yeah, I I, I forgot that that was an excluded middle. I I can't remember why I asked Shit. about Beckyard. but he said he went to the Queen Mary in Los Angeles and Long Beach to meet with Backyard, and um, um, Mosley got there at the time that Backyard said he was going to be said to meet, and Backyard showed up like half an hour later or something when he was just about to leave. And uh, Mosley said, well, where the fuck were you? And Beckyard said, I said, you know, 6.30, where the fuck were you? Why were you here? And he said Beckyard just got mad and stormed out Yeah, yeah. over that one thing. And he said they were going to meet and talk about stuff about UFOs and Bigfoot or something like that, or I don't know what it was. But, you know, just because somebody was there, you know, not at the right time or got the times wrong, that was a point of contention, and Beckyord stormed out. Um, (laughs) so you'd figure he's just like where the hell were you i was here half an hour ago oh i thought you meant so and so oh well whatever i'm sorry about that let me buy you a drink and make it up to you no he had to get mad and storm out um was that actually lived in los angeles uh near me about five miles from me for many years in the early 1990s um there used to be meetings at a house in uh, Santa Monica with this guy, Gary Schultz, who was uh, early Area 51, New World Order-type person. He used to do a lot of stuff with Norio Hayakawa, actually. Anyway, Gary had these meetings at his house, and, you know, there'd be like six or eight people there. and um, Backyard showed up at a few, a few of them because he lived in Malibu. Um, I don't know where his money came from or where he got the money to live in this house up in the hills in Malibu, but he did. Uh, he came to that meeting. And I remember he had he uh, had said told Gary Schultz that he had um, some incredible films of UFOs and videos, and I thought, "Geez, I want to stay for this." And he was going to show him after the meeting, after everybody left. And since Gary trusted me, he said, "Yeah, stay and we'll all watch them." And there was, you know, there was a lot of crap in there, and there was a couple of fairly impressive ones that I still remember. But the upshot of the story was, um, I got up to you know backyard left. And then I got up to leave after talking with Schultz for a while. I couldn't find my car keys. And I'm looking all over the place. I can't find the car keys. And finally I thought, maybe Eric picked them up by accident for some reason. So we called his house, and he had. He took my car keys with him. <laughs> <laughs> and I couldn't get And he goes, oh, well, you'll have to come up and get them. <laughs> I was like, well, I can't get anywhere. <laughs> I don't have my car. Sorry, I mean, you're just going to have to come up and get them. I can't leave. So I went wow. and a friend of mine at a bar because I knew he drank there, and he was drunk out of his mind. This is back or your friend? Th- this other friend of mine I used to work with. Okay, yeah. I knew he was at this bar all the time, and I got there, and the guy is like practically falling down drunk. And I said, can I use your car? He oh, goes, sure, but i got to come with you. So, you know, I had this raving drunk guy, you know, babbling at me all the way up to Malibu. We go up to Eric Beckyard's house, and he left the keys in his mailbox for me to pick up. He wouldn't even come and let me come to the house and get them. Wow. Which, which was that was a very, you know, I wasn't really mad at him. I was just kind of mystified at his weird behavior.
1: Yeah, that's what I was going to kind of say. sounds like he was uh, one of Esoterica's great eccentrics amongst the many eccentrics in Esoterica. Yeah, he was,
0: he was very eccentric. I, you know, I I don't take offense very easily, so I just thought it was you know, just weird. Another time I was standing in a, in a, in a supermarket at, on Sunset Boulevard where it ends at the beach. I was just standing in line getting something, and Eric walked up behind me. He said, hey, Greg. Hey, Eric, how's it going? And this was after the key thing. He goes, I got some pictures of aliens. I said, yeah, what? So he opened up that big satchel that uh, that uh, Nick was talking about, and he pulled out these pictures, and they were pictures of, like, some bushes. He goes, There's an alien looking out of the bush, and I was like, where, Eric? And he kind of, like, outlined it for me. I was like, that's, I, you know, I was going to, I said, Eric, don't you think maybe that's just a shape there in the woods? Oh, no, the guy that took the picture saw them running away. And I was thinking, why didn't he get pictures of that? <laughs>
1: <laughs> do you think he was just like an eccentric, uh, ultra believer, or, or, or someone who was, you know, uh, having a good laugh at the expense of everybody, kind of, or, or was in on the joke, if you will, or, or what do you think his take on all this was?
0: Oh no, I think he was totally serious. I mean, I, I think he completely believed in what he was doing. He had a he had a Bigfoot and UFO museum in Venice in his house. Basically, it was a bunch of folders on the floor in various rooms of the house, and so you had to go to go and pick up the folders and look in them. <laughs> So, but, but, you know, and then he did the same thing. I think he had another museum up in San Francisco and he moved up there, uh, a few years later, which is where he ended up, um, dying of cancer. But no, I, I think he was totally serious about it. And I did not know that he had that, uh, you know, that paranormal Bigfoot thing. And I, I kind of respect him a, a little bit more for that. Um, uh, he he did have a book he was going to write. He said called "Sex and the Single Sasquatch." I think was the name of it, but he never wrote it. <laughs> oh man, I I liked him. I didn't. I had nothing against him. I just thought he was kind of a hot button guy and mm-hmm. um, basically a, a very advanced dilettante.
1: There you go. Yeah. Well, that's. I think that's probably why you and me and Nick and and, and even Paul are kind of all friends because you know we try not to take this thing too seriously. You can't get too upset at people just because they don't agree with you or because you think their views are far out, you know? Yeah, well, are.
0: I think, you know, for me, I think I'm all kind of in the same boat. In a lot of these, a lot of aspects, I'm a very advanced dilettante, which is what basically ufology is until you get into areas where people actually go out, talk to people, look at things, research things. So, you know, on Project Beta, I guess I wasn't, but the rest of the time... Um, I'm just doing the kind of
1: thing Eric respect did. it's just that I'm not
0: as insane I guess
1: <laughs> There you go, alright, and now uh, not, uh, Coincidentally I guess, the next one Is also another passing, and I'm not sure how much You guys uh, know about this guy, but I Did know of him fairly well I Had an interesting uh, experience With him, and I'll talk about that in a minute But uh, that's Monsignor Corrado Balducci A very high-ranking Vatican, I don't know if he was exactly High-ranking within the Vatican, but he was affiliated with them pretty closely and spoke out positively about UFOs for many years. He passed away uh, in late September this past year. Now, do you guys, either of you, know much about uh, the Monsignor, or am I the only one who really had an experience with him?
2: No, I've never really dug into all that sort of stuff, really. What about you? either.
0: I totally agree with Nick.
1: <laughs> well, I will just say, I guess... <laughs> i did uh well i recounted this story on on karen dolan's show but i'll do it here too for the year in review is just that it's strange uh and i had said we had stan on last week and he was the first interviewer that i ever did uh like one-on-one you know i just plucked up the cards and sat down next to stan at the ex-conference 2005 but that same year um Monsignor senior balducci was the keynote speaker and they brought him in from italy and uh this real wild cat of a character that I met at the X conference named Frank Knees. I'm sure he's out there somewhere. Hopefully he's listening back when I was just a nobody loser, which is, you know, now I'm just a loser. I'm not a nobody. I hope, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, but back when I had never done an interview before or even knew, you know, anybody or anything, I had just bought the same digital recorder. I'm using to take this interview and was going to start up my own audio show. And, uh, and Frank uh, – I told Frank this, and Frank said he got – he was a wildcat. I just can't emphasize that enough, just uh, all over the place, kind of uh, Eric uh yord esque But he uh, – somehow at some point in the, in the weekend, he runs up to me and says, we're interviewing Monsignor Balducci later on this afternoon. And, you know, this is a, a high-ranking Catholic – Guy, uh, very esteemed keynote speaker of the conference. I've never done an interview before. I was just about ready to shit my pants. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and and the same style of Been All of America questions. I remember I said something like, uh, well, I'll just ask him, you know, dude, have you ever really felt like, and Frank was saying, you know, you can't, what are you, this guy's 75 years old. He's from the Vatican. You can't address him as dude. And that was that was my baptism of fire to uh, interviewing. And uh, really, all I did was ask one question because we only got about like 15 minutes, and uh, it was a very intimidating experience because he was uh, had a real air of uh of sort of power to him, I guess. And he was a demonologist, really more than a ufologist. It was just a really great experience for me. And, and I remember he remarked to me in broken English because he really only spoke very little English, but he said, uh, Oh, you're so young. And at that point I was pretty young and that was about four years ago now. So, uh, nearly 30. So <laughs> that's scary enough, but it was, that was pretty cool for me. And, and, uh, one of the other things that, that he said to me that I always, uh, remember because this was like a serious demonologist. This wasn't like, you know, a couple of kids, uh, you know in, in suburban Massachusetts with a ghost group I mean this guy was serious demonologist working with the Vatican you know he knew the guy who ended up becoming um, the, the present Pope I don't know if it was off the record but he's passed away now and it's not like it was a secretive answer so I'm gonna just share it now and I'm gonna try and get a hold of uh, some of the people that were in the interview with me to make sure it's okay to use but somebody asked him about evil and, and demons and stuff like that and if if they should be worried about them, and he said that the demons and evil and Satan don't care at all about normal people; they're only interested in people with power, like presidents and world leaders and and people with serious influence, and that normal people shouldn't be worried about evil or the devil or demons like coming after them. I don't know that answer always kind of stuck with me because here's this expert on demons and and in a serious way with with the Catholic Church, and I'm sure he's been a part of I'm sure he was a part of many exorcisms and stuff like that. And to hear that kind of answer kind of blew my mind at the time because it sort of uh, made me not so worried about that sort of thing because it was like, shit, I'm not the president. I don't need to worry about demons. I don't know. That's my story about uh, Monsignor Balducci. And and it was great to meet him. And it's a sad passing, of course, that, uh, that we lost him here this year. And he was very influential in having UFOs accepted by the Catholic Church like we talked about earlier. And I, I'm sure that you know, he pulled a lot of the strings behind the scenes to to make that sort of uh, open dialogue uh, possible. So, and I'll I'll recommend folks check out the interview that we had with Monsignor Balducci nearly four years ago now. So, that's I'll it. check it out. Yeah, that's all. that <laughs> That's the longest I'll talk, I think, tonight. But <laughs> that's my cool. story, and uh, and yeah, so it was pretty cool, and and uh, I was pretty sad to hear that he passed away. So. And then the next event, of course, uh, since we've broken the language barrier, I'm going to unsanitize my question here for the next key point here in 2008. And it's mid-October. It is the Blossom Goodchild UFO non-event. She, uh, At some point in the summer, she predicted a UFO sighting, a mass UFO sighting in Alabama, of all places. For some reason, and this is where I'm going to unsanitize it, for some reason people actually believed this and and the question i have is what the fuck is wrong with people okay. why are people believing this this is insane and and i don't understand why an australian channeler like just because she said it all of a sudden everybody jumped on it and uh when i was on the karen dolan show cuz all around the same time of year you know she asked me what i thought of the blossom good child ufo prediction and it was like you know the short answer is i i don't think about it it's yeah. it's, it's crazy talk to even you know, give this sort of thing the time of day, and of course, as we know, the UFO never showed up, but it was just another weird event, and it got big coverage. I mean, this wasn't just some little minor story. A lot of people were talking about Blossom Goodchild and her Alabama UFOs, so uh, I'm sure you guys heard about this, so I guess let's talk a little bit about this. It's yet another incident in 2008 and throughout the history of esoterica where big predictions and big things, and then they never end up delivering, but I guess Let's phrase the, the question and the discussion on Blossom around <laughs> – I feel like I'm talking about that old NBC show. But uh, let's frame the question around why does anyone still believe in this junk? And I guess before I even turn it over to you guys, I want to reemphasize a point that I made to Nick when he was out here visiting me uh, in October around the same time that a lot of people want to say, oh, we got to clean up ufology, and and I'll extend that to all of esoterica, and we want to clean it up. But the hoaxers are half the problem. The other half of the problem is the people that believe in this crap, and you can't force them out. You can't freeze them out. You can't blackball those people because that's the the audience. That's the consumer base of the esoteric field, a a good part of it. So to all the people that want to clean up ufology – you know, we're going to have to get rid of a lot of people that are following ufology that aren't personalities or anything that will just jump on this and believe it. So I guess we'll just uh dive in first with why did this story actually get any, like, you know, support from anyone because it doesn't seem like it's it's a, it's a complete non-story. It, it should never have even gotten past uh, her YouTube page.
2: Well, I mean, <laughs> I would say, you know, when you – I mean, I think you have to look at it really as – As just the latest in a long line of prophecies Now, not just with respect to UFOs But with respect to Forecasting any sort of future event Whether it's like a cataclysm of the Earth You know Jesus returning Bigfoot's going to You know Appear on the White House lawn or whatever (laughs) You know Um, The thing The fact is That's you know, prophecies, for some reason, whether it's something sort of inbuilt in our psyche or our unconscious, fascinate people. You know, it's like when 1999 came around. everybody like, oh, my God, you know, Nostradamus and the world's going to end. There's going to be a nuclear attack.
0: Yeah. And it, and
2: it did capture people's imagination. In and 2012. I mean, what happened. Sorry? In just 2012. Like yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, people are going to – there's going to be people who are going to be hyperventilating throughout the entire year of 2012 <laughs> until, you know, the year ends and – that's when it's all supposed to kick off. Um, I'm not saying that it's not possible that one day someone could prophesy something that actually turns out to be 100% accurate. The problem is, if you look back now retrospectively at pretty much everything that's been said in the 14 world from a prophecy perspective, it's either been wrong or they failed to prophesy the really significant things like
1: 9-11. Yeah.
2: You know, so that's the problem I have with prophecies. And, you know, if somebody says to me they were, you know, they channeled Space Commander Zax from Starbelt 46 or whatever and who's told them, that, you know, he's going to land next week and cure cancer and save the rainforests. You know, I'm not going to waste any time digging into the story. What I actually would dig into, and I think this is more interesting, I think this is an area that... Greg, as well, would agree is worth looking at, is not so much the messenger, but who is, you know, is there actually some sort of entity, you know, like the cosmic trickster that's playing with us, that is actually projecting a message to some of these people who earnestly believe what they're saying? You know, it's not just conjured up in their mind. You know, there are a lot of stories about people who believe they're in touch with higher entities. Um, not just in ufology, but you know, if you look back at the contactee years and, you know, way before that, um, you know, you could even argue about religious texts. The idea that there are higher powers, higher entities that interact with us, but, and they tell us things, but then those things turn out not to be true. You know, like the trickster element that a lot of researchers of some sort of the more left field aspects of the subject talk about. I think for me, that's more intriguing, you know, rather than dismissing a lot of these people as simply cranks or liars, are they being deceived by something that's masquerading, you know, as alien today and as goblins and fairies 500 years ago and as gods 2,000 years ago for some reason we don't understand? For me, that's the more interesting angle of people prophesying things and being told things about the future by higher beings or whatever.
1: Yeah. What about you, Greg? What's your take on uh, old Blossom, Good Child? Well, I I think that
0: uh, while Nick is saying this, one yeah, I I wouldn't even have thought of that. The uh, the the trickster element, and you know, because I do think some people do have some kind of connection to something that's not time and space and whatever base, but that the human mind can hook into. I I think that's been proven many times. The problem is that that whatever that is that we hook into. Is um, either one knows what it's doing and is playing with us, or or two, and and or two, whatever that message is, has to come through your own personal, your own personality, your belief system, your hopes, your fears for the future, all that. Um, and if it's, you know, if you say something is coming from a God or a spirit or a guide or whatever, you know, all of a sudden it's like mentioning the Bible or God on TV. People are saying, Oh, this is important. Yeah. You know, it, it, whether it is or not, suddenly there's this, you know, reaction, in a lot of people's minds, especially believers. Oh, we're going to have to listen to this. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the reason I think that people, a lot of people believe it is because, and I see this at conspiracy conventions and everything, people are addicted to that thrill ride. It's like going to the amusement park every every few weeks or whatever if you're addicted to that, or, you know, flying like me. I like to go paragliding. Not because it scares me, because it exhilarates me. Um, and I think that the, the there's a certain segment of the population that are exhilarated by the fact that, that people will predict something and, and, and and that they might have known something before everybody else does. And you know, so what if it didn't work out this time? Maybe it'll work out next time. They, they don't care that it didn't work out really. They're just addicted to the feeling of, uh, that, that rush of fear or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, that's not just UFO people. That's a lot of different people. It's a lot large segment of society. And what you mentioned about, uh, uh, cleaning up ufology. Um, I, I, I hesitate to say that there should be a you know a clean up of ufology. Who decides what? Who's going to be cleaned out? Who decides what's right? You know, is there going to be a, a, a article of confederation saying what people can and can't say, or can and can't believe, or can and can't bring to the table? I, I think you know the way that you the study of anomalies is now. It's it's you know putting a bunch of rules in place. I think it's ridiculous. It's 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 like you know, it's like um, making like trying to grab a handful of water. I mean, it's not. There's so many different personalities and so many aspects to this that you know, making a rule just just you know creates a wall where there's you know there's one side that says they're right and the other side that's not right and the side that's apparently not right,
1: revolts and has their own thing.
0: It's it's just ridiculous.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't believe it does affect my credibility at all because this is Bigfoot. Witten and Dyer say Bigfoot was a Sasquatch costume they bought off the web and filled with possum roadkill and slaughterhouse leftovers. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. I'm interested to get his take because, frankly, I'm creeped out by what's in that freezer. He could either be excited or he could feel like his, the meaning of his life is over if Sasquatch is actually fallen. I hope that's not it. That wasn't. Uh, I'm sure you understood what I was saying. I'm not in favor of cleaning up anything.
0: So. No, I, I I know that. <laughs> I'm just saying that some people are, and they, you know, why? You know, the the same the same reason somebody has a uh uh wants to create a law or wants to uh push their religion on somebody or whatever. I'm right and you're not. Yeah, there's a lot of crazy people to believe crazy stuff in the UFO world. But if you you know, if you look closely enough, there's a lot of people that, that are very circumspect about it, extremely intelligent, and um, not necessarily waving a banner around, but doing good work. And I, I, you know, I, I prefer it that way. I don't, I don't want them some, somebody who's extremely smart that a, a group of people think is not worth their time saying you're out of our club and nobody should listen to you.
1: Exactly. And like, uh, the point I, I made to Nick and, and, and I said earlier here is that, you know, you may be able to get out the pushers of the crazy theories and stuff, but you're never going to be able to get out the acceptors of the crazy th- theories, the believers They're you know, they're not, they're the audience that they go hand in hand and, and, no matter how hard you try to get rid of one end of it, uh, the other end is a self-sustaining cycle in a way. So it's like they—they they can't really—I don't think the people who want to clean up the esoteric understand that, or or want to accept that, or they think that those people will go away. When really the hoaxers and and the and the true believers will just run off together in in merriment, you know.
0: Yeah. Well, it's the same reason I, I'm I'm very you know, I'm I'm really a big like supporter of intellectual and 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 uh basically freedom of freedom of thought and the, the minute you make you demonize something it be it, it takes on its own um notoriousness and uh attracts an even worse element yeah. you know what i mean i don't know how that would apply to the ufo thing but uh just making something Beyond the pale automatically gives it a a, a certain sense of of, of danger or, or legitimacy. Or you know, as soon as I see something that's banned, I want to know why. Yeah, exactly. There's something here that somebody who's who who doesn't want us to think a certain way is scared of. You know, maybe maybe you know ninety eighty ninety percent of the time. Yeah, it's crap. But some you know a lot of times things are suppressed because somebody wants to keep something the way it is and not let it evolve.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. All right. We only got two points left here for uh big events of, of two thousand and eight and then uh we'll close the book on await for the most part. And that is of course uh the biggest news in America over the last year, the election of Barack Obama, thank God, uh as our new president, and then in turn tying that in with the UFO world, uh it seems like uh the minute the election results were in everybody in the, the exopolitics movement was ready to start faxing away at at Barack Obama and they were sure this one this one is going to be the difference, my friends. Obama's going to be the one. He promised change and now we're going to get UFO disclosure. I guess the question really here is just what do you think? Cause it's kind of an ongoing story still about the Obama disclosure push um, and uh, now I'm, I'm at a loss for the guy's name there. Oh, Podesta, who's, you know kind of has a foot in both camps, has a foot in the Obama camp and the UFO camp in a weird way. So there is, I mean, there is a little bit of smoke here, but at the same time, I feel like it's more of ufology grasping its straws at a possibility that probably won't happen, but at the same time hyping the shit out of it. That's that's kind of my overall opinion of this. So, um, Nick, what do you think first uh, about the Obama election and then in turn ufology's adopting of Obama as their savior?
2: Well, I mean, I think the best thing that could have happened, um, as a permanent resident, rather than a U.S. citizen, I'm not allowed to vote. So, you know, I was kind of an outsider looking in. Um, but, you know, I cannot think of anything worse than had the Republicans got elected and John McCain died. Yeah. That, woman, came yeah. that, that woman whose name I refuse to speak. <laughs> if, she became, if she became president, it would have been, I don't know what it would have been. So, you know, I think I, I think America was looking for a change and and did the right thing. You know, I think that out of the two options, the, the right path was taken. Now, as far as the UFO subject is concerned, I personally think that, you know, I'm certainly not by any means, you know, a champion of the Republicans at all. <laughs> I always stress that. But I think there's been a simplistic approach upon certain people in the UFO field that the Republicans are the bad guys hiding the truth, and the Democrats are the ones who, if anyone, would want to release it. I think that's a simplistic approach, because I think if anyone is actually sitting upon the truth about the UFOs, for the most part, they're going to be outside of the normal constraints of what we call government. Now, yes, you could argue that people like George Bush Sr., you know, who've sort of straddled both worlds, the political world and the intelligence world, might or could very well know more. But your average president or prime minister in England or France or whatever doesn't necessarily have exposure to that world other than what they're told by their advisors. Now, my view would be because people feel, you know, and quite justifiably I would hope, that Barack Obama will... You know, try and rectify a lot of the things that people see as problems in America. They also see it as he'd be the guy for disclosure. But I mean, my argument would be: if there's a real secret being hidden by a small cabal of people or whatever, what would prompt them? The only thing that would prompt them to reveal the truth to him and then have him reveal the truth to the world would be if it was a, a benefit to the group that's sitting on the information. Yeah, and I. You know, people can say I'm being naive, but I cannot truthfully see any reason why, after hiding something for 60 years, somebody who's sitting on this data would say, oh, well, Barack Obama's been elected. Let's put it all out for people to see. I I don't get the the logic behind that. And I certainly don't get the logic behind petitioning a politician to say, you know, here's a million votes, here's 10 million votes, release the files. The people who are in... The position of hiding the data, if they are, if data is being hidden, they're not going to be swayed by 10 million people or 50 million people. The only thing that will sway them is something that benefits them to make the decision to change the approach and policy that they followed the last 60 years. So I don't feel personally that whoever's in power Is going to have it's going to make much difference. It's only going to make a difference from the people who are sitting on the information.
1: All right. What do you think, Greg? I'm sure you've seen this sort of thing unfold in the last couple months. So, what are your thoughts on the Obama uh, Obama as as UFO disclosure idea that's become a meme, I guess, in some circles of ufology?
0: Well, as we've seen in the last couple of minutes, why Nick is on more shows than I am because (laughs) something very eloquently that I want that I pretty much agree with. Um, and we kind of have the same take on, uh, you know, too bad we can't be fighting with each other like a a, a, a good talk show should, right? It's have virtual chairs <laughs> well, to bash each other over bad. the head. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's a, it, as far as him being elected in the first place, that was the first part of the original question. Um, it was the second time in my life I voted out of fear. <laughs> actually, mm-hmm. yeah, it's actually the third. Um, for the exact reason Nick said. I, I you know I I wasn't a huge fan of Obama I'm even less of a fan of the uh, Republicans who have basically you know the, the this administration in 8 years has basically squandered all the all the gains that the the republicans have made since Reagan was in office. Mm-hmm. Um they they finally come to the we finally come to the end of that, you know, uh that cycle in 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 our government. And um, particularly in the last eight years, I say good riddance. Now, for the for the uh, the idea that Obama going to uh, be the person that discloses everything, exactly what Nick said. I mean, it, 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 he that is not something that the president has purview over, or. You know, I think other presidents, such as Carter and uh, Clinton, who I think made a vague effort to try and get at some information, um, whoever controls that information is 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 either doesn't have to let get get permission from the executive branch to do anything with it or reveal it, or two, they are able to convince the executive branch and other people that the information, the way they present it to them, is so important that it's and and so uh valuable politically and strategically that it's not really in their interest to say anything about it and it basically keep people in the dark and as nick said you know it doesn't matter how many people uh, you know fax a million faxes to washington or whatever um, if there's, if there's not a compelling reason and he said that, 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 that's good for them, or, and I would say actually scares them into revealing that information. I, I don't think it's going to be revealed. And, um, you know, I, I would say more power to the ex-politics people, but I think they're, I think for the most part, personally, I think they're, they're grasping at straws for the, the reasons that Nick and I said, that it's not. It's not uh, It's not something that you can petition the government for. That's a grievance that we cannot predish- petition for a redress of.
1: All right. Sounds good. We got the last point here, the last uh, major event of 2008. Uh, and it wasn't really major on a world stage or a mainstream media stage, but it was a, a fairly big event for folks like you and me and, and Nick who do writing for the paranormal world and, and who sort of follow the paranormal media and that was The Folding of Alien Worlds, a very promising magazine that started up in January or so and uh, put out four issues. Stuart Miller did a great job with it. I was very excited about it and uh, folded this past early December or so. And uh, I don't want to get into the alarmist nature that Nick warned me about earlier in the night when we talked about the UK UFO group. Um, So I guess I'll just sort of uh, ask... If this might be an example of uh, the esoteric feeling the pinch that everybody else is feeling with this economic crisis right now and considering that the esoteric economy is pretty lousy in and of itself, no one really makes any money off of this. And when no one has any money, we're all going to make even less money, I'm afraid. Is this an example, you think, maybe of what might be going on here with the folding of Alien Worlds, at least one factor in it? And uh, what are your thoughts on Alien Worlds? Because I know that uh, you guys promoted it pretty good at UFO Mystic and stuff.
2: Well, I mean, my opinion, you know, it's always unfortunate when you have a good magazine that isn't kind of trying to ram one particular theory down somebody's throat. You know, Stuart, to his credit, um... Allowed a lot of writers to write for the magazine who had you know completely differing views some very alternative views on On various cases and theories on the subject in general and it was you know It was an alternative approach to the ufo subject but done in a professional glossy color You know well-presented magazine and it is a, a real shame that it flows down um But, you know, I mean, growing up in Britain, I can tell you countless UFO magazines surfaced and folded at the height of the X wave, uh, X-Files wave in the 90s. In Britain, you had alien encounters, sightings, UFO reality, Yuri Geller's encounters, Enigma, X-Factor, and several others I've forgotten. Every single one of them didn't last. They all closed down. The only one that's lasted in Britain is 14 times. Now, <clears throat> my personal view, is that there there have been times in Britain, particularly 96, 97, 98, when a lot of people bought UFO magazines, and they were sustainable for a while on the newsstands. The problem is that when that huge interest goes away and everybody goes on to other things like computer games or, or whatever, the hardcore community in Britain, at least, isn't enough to sustain a national newsstand magazine. Um, You know, there just aren't enough people. I don't think it's anything to do with the economy as such. I think it's just that there aren't enough people who go out and buy UFO magazines when the, the average member of the public who has an interest occasionally picks them up. When those people go away and it's just the hardcore couple of thousand people that's just not enough to keep the magazine going and to pay for the printing costs, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't know if that's what happened with Stuart, but I do know that happened that's what happened with other magazines that's you know, there is this it's like with books, there's a tendency to think if you write a UFO book you know, people think I, my books sell like a you know, quarter of a million copies, which is absurd. I don't sell anywhere near a quarter of a million copies. More like, not 250,000, more like two hundred fifteen. some cases, literally. <laughs> I'm not joking. Um, and so you know, there is this tendency to think that the UFO community is a huge community. It's actually not that big. Uh, as far as the book-buying and magazine-buying world's concerned. So I've, that would be my opinion. Um, you don't get the sales, then, unfortunately, you go under. It's that simple. Okay.
1: What about you, Greg? You got anything to say about that?
0: Well, I think it partially has to do the economy. And, um, yeah, one one other thing about Obama, I think the last thing that on his agenda with the way the economy is is
1: whether we're going to hear about UFOs. Thank you. Yes, I actually, I meant to make that point uh, that <laughs> – In in my opinion, I would be much happier if he just fixed the economy. I could care less about uh, UFO disclosure at this point. Um, Yeah, I couldn't either.
0: But with regard to Stewart's magazine, yeah, best thing in UFO magazines in years, Um, just if if not for the fact that he's giving people with disparate opinions a place to present them and get people interested in different aspects of the UFO culture um, that – didn't necessarily have to do with aliens coming for another planet. I mean, personally, he gave me, I think, seven or eight pages of interview in there, which is, like, more than I've ever gotten anywhere, which was, you know, I was flabbergasted. He didn't edit anything out, and he was real nice about, it. like, oh, I just said something I don't think I should have said. Okay, I'll take it out. And, uh, yeah, I'm really sorry to see it go. But the thing is, the first, you know, I saw the first couple issues, and I thought, where is he advertising? And then I'd see the next issue, I go, Stuart, there's still no advertising. <laughs> yeah. Either he's got very deep pockets or he's not going to be able to st- sustain this. And I didn't talk to him personally, I, you know, about running the magazine, but from running UFO, uh, uh, what am I saying, not UFO mystic, from running excluded middle, I know that, um, if, if I, if, if I was anything like Stuart, I couldn't stand that part of it, going out and getting the, the advertising and all that to sustain the magazine. Because the sales would not sustain it, it's the advertising that just sustains your magazine. And if, you know, you look at 40 and Times, they're, they're chock full of advertising. Not so much that it's annoying, but they've got enough that you know that they're, 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 uh, self-perpetuating and, and will keep going. And I think they've got a lot of that advertising for, at least in Britain, for the esoteric locked up. Yeah. Uh and I didn't see that Stuart had a lot of a a chance with that. So I was just kind of thinking he was that uh, Alien Worlds was living on borrowed time until, you know, either Stuart ran out of money or he went out and got some advertising. And I I may be mis mis here with whatever was going on
1: with Stuart, but um no, I think you might be on the right track because I remember his uh recent post about how they were folding the magazine that there was a problem with trying to find advertisers. So,
0: Yeah, but maybe he did go out and try and find them um, and just couldn't get anybody to put a decent size ad in there. Um, I, you know, I, uh, John Shirley once bought the back cover for, from me for excluded middle and that floated the magazine for, for another, you know, so I could get the next issue out so I could get some more, you know, issues. And Disinformation once bought a, you know, an entire back cover. And those are the kind of things that, that, you know, saved me and kept, kept me from having to go into my money like, like I and my, my partners did in the first, you know, like three or four issues. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm really sorry to see it going. I, I wish he'd keep it going online. I think he stopped his news uh, service. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Do either of you know if he's doing anything online at all? Well, I know this. I
2: don't think he's updated his alien world sites at all. No, oh, that's times. too
0: bad. I think it, it, I, I think he'll probably, you know, let his brain and his wallet and all that rest for a while, and then come around back to it and just do it online like everybody else does, and and be a you know valuable and viable part of the uh, anomalies community for a while to come. At least I hope he does.
1: I hope so too. Yeah, because uh, yeah, he did shut down the news wire part of his website too, which was a big part of that of the website. And one of the parts I really used a lot was the news wire part. So. It's,
0: yeah, I, I really enjoyed that.
1: It's a big loss to the online community for sure. The only other sort of newsy item that I want to talk about here for 2008, and it, one of them happened in June. One of them actually happened way back in the beginning of the year, and one of them happened within the last couple of days, and that's celebrity endorsements of UFOs. Robbie Williams back in March, and just the other day, Keanu Reeves, uh, I think promoting the new, uh, the new Alien movie. I forget which one it is now. Uh, the air stood still. Yes, there you go. The Day of the Earth Search Till. I think he's in it and was doing some promotion and, and gave a glowing endorsement to UFOs. Um, is there anything to these? Uh, the Robbie Williams one sounds like it has a little more leg because he actually wants to get more involved in UFOs and stuff. But is there anything really to this? Because for a while I've sort of been calling for celebrity UFO endorsements and the way that 9-11 sort of got a lot of endorsements. uh in the last few years, the nine eleven conspiracy, obviously not the actual attack, <laughs> but but uh, yeah, I've been calling, kind of calling for more celebrities to endorse UFOs, and then we had these two uh, over the course of two thousand and eight. Is there anything to this, or is it more just uh, Robbie Williams, you know, kind of quirky guy, had an interest in UFOs, and Mm. Keanu Reeves probably just made some offhand remark during the press tour, and ufology jumped all over it. That's what I think the second story is. But uh, what do you think of the whole Robbie Williams thing? Uh, Nick, you're English, so I figure you have some perspective on this.
2: Well, there's actually no doubt. I mean, Robbie Williams does have a genuine interest in the UFO subject. You know, it's not some I mean, you know, the guy has had – Countless records in England, you know, he's sort of like a megastar in in Britain, you know, sold millions of records. You know, he doesn't need to hype himself on the UFO subject. And yet he does have a genuine uh, interest in the UFO subject. He traveled over to the Laughlin Conference last year, or earlier this year, I should say. Um, and, um, you know, so in that respect, um, I think his interest... I'm 100% sure he's a genuine one. You know, he's he's quite learning about the subject if you hear him talking about different aspects and obviously wants to learn more. Um, I think as far as the subject's concerned, if it brings a subject into the public domain via the media because they're talking about celebrities, in that respect, it's a good thing. I think, you know, when you kind of go down the more sort of kooky aspects of certain celebrities, then it might have a detrimental effect. But I think, you know, it just depends who the person is. I mean, there have been a lot of famous people throughout the years, celebrities who have had a deep interest in UFOs. Jackie Gleason, who actually has a weird crashed UFO story attached to him. Um, He was very big into UFOs. And, you know, so it's actually nothing new in that respect. Um, To what extent it really helps the subject. I don't think it hinders the subject, I think it brings the subject to people's attention. I'm not sure it actually directly aids us in any way, but, you know, there's no reason why it should. I mean, just because somebody's famous, it doesn't mean that they're not allowed to have an interest in UFOs.
1: Yeah. For the record, my favorite U.K. celebrity is Jordan. (laughs) Yeah, I wonder why. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He's got a couple of things going for him. uh, Absolutely, that's for sure. (laughs) All right, now we've wrapped up 2008. We've closed the book on 2008. And uh, folks can listen to this and then, you know, re-listen in 10 years from now and get an idea of actually what was going on in ufology in the year 2008. A lot of different stories.
2: That's scary
1: stuff. I know, it is scary. <laughs> um, and 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 I remember last year Greg we sort of touched on what's hot, what's not in esoterica as 2007 closed and I'm trying to recollect here what we talked about and said cryptozoology was on the rise. Ghost hunting, the bubble was about to burst. 9-11 seemed to be sort of going down. Uh, It seemed like this year the election really dominated a lot of people and took a lot of people away from the esoteric, I think, that normally would have been more involved. But as 2008 closes, I guess, in my opinion, it seems like UFOs still, uh, I think they're still kind of on the rise a little bit, especially with UFO hunters. And despite some of these lousier stories of 2008, Uh, UFOs seem to have gained a foothold. I guess it's a testament to their staying power and and how they sort of broke through in 2007, kind of like what Nick was saying at the very beginning of the show and what you were saying, that the UFOs were a fixture of of news here in in this year, but some of it kind of disappointing, but they established themselves as part of the talking points, I guess you could say, of what's esoteric in the mainstream media. Cryptozoology, I think, took kind of a hit here in 2008, Ghost hunting, we're still waiting for the bubble to burst, but I think it's starting to phase out, and 9-11, of course, still kind of going down the tubes. I don't see much change uh, as we close 2008 for what's hot and what's not, but you guys obviously have your finger on the pulse of uh, the online esoteric world. Do you see anything sort of emerging as 2009 picks up uh, You know, for for genres or trends, or fields that are either going up or going down. And uh, let's start with Greg.
0: Oh, okay. See, I was going to wait for Nick and then see if I can riff off that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I tend to gr- disagree with you about the ghost thing. Ghosts are per- perennially popular. Those shows will always be on. Um, yes, they go in waves. Uh, I still personally enjoy Monster Quest. I think that's a very good show.
1: Oh, Monster Quest, the best show on TV for Esoteric. Yeah,
0: um, because they're not they don't get all excited about stuff they don't have that quick cutting they don't have you know you know extremely loud dramatic music behind people while they're talking so you can hardly hear what they're saying maybe i'm just old <laughs> it's just you know it lets present the subject you know in a way that that uh, is respectable to a larger amount of people and um you know, maybe give somebody a a little different perspective on these things, not just, you know, crazy people out in the woods, um, you know, faking Bigfoot. I mean there's there's there there's something to that. There might be something to China's Wild Man. There might be something to the Loch Ness Monster, you know, um all all the hoaxes and things uh, notwithstanding. So that you know, that I think that show is going strong and just from my, you know, personally looking at it, I think anybody is interested in that show. Um and as far as the UFO thing, yeah, I think it is still on the rise. I think it hasn't peaked yet. Um, I think uh, another show that kind of challenges what UFO hunters does and takes it to another level may be the thing that tips the balance. I don't know if that's going to happen. You know, if it does, I hope I'm involved with it. Absolutely, um, yeah. But well, the UFO, you know, the UFO thing, I think, is a little bit separate from the other parts of the paranormal because it's it kind of i'm trying to think of the, how to explain it it kind of tells people that in a very concrete way and in a very um uh, universal in all senses of the word way that we probably don't know everything there is to know and even the smartest people in the world that you always see on tv and are quoted on uh, on news shows and write the important books don't know there everything there is to know, and then there's that little maverick in all of us that says you know um, I know something that the smart person doesn't that that that's that's there's there's more knowledge to be had um and that might be that there's aliens on other planets or that there's you know other dimensions that we can you know that somebody or something can move through and interact with us yeah and that's why I think that the uFO thing is uh, the subject will always be popular um like you said depending on what's going on 911 knocked out all aspects of the uh paranormal for quite a few years nobody cared about it cuz they were worried about whether they were going to die or not yeah um and the election you know had the same had the same effect in it in another way it just kind of sucks all the energy out of everything else
1: yeah, and uh, just
0: to clarify, and then, you know, during during Democratic administrations, it seems that um, the media and and producers and all that are more open to things that are that are weird and maybe even critical of the government, et cetera. That that's been the trend for the last maybe thirty years.
1: Nice. Let's hope so. Let's hope so for us. But uh, l- let me just clarify a couple things on my outlook here because I did think of something else. But I do want to say I, I don't think that the ghost bubbles burst yet, but I think the bubble is expanding to the point where it's going to burst soon, and I feel like an oversaturation point is beginning to be reached. That's kind of my outlook on ghosts. And, I'd agree with that. And uh, For Cryptozoology, I think it had a lot of momentum going for it as 2008 started, and I think it's now still trying to recover from the Bigfoot body bonanza hoax of mid-summer, so I think if it it sort of took the wind out of the sails of Cryptozoology that it had going into the beginning of 2008, and I'll make an off-kilter prediction here for A strange trend, I think, that is beginning to percolate, and that's uh, anomalous discoveries of an archaeological... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: Yeah, you know what a great show is? And it's it's very it, – it's, it's got that annoying music and all that, but it's uh, Underground Worlds yes. or Underground something. I can't remember. This guy just goes to places, underground cities and things and, and walks through them and crawls through tunnels and sewers and everything. And I, I love that show.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And I've noticed a lot in the news in the last couple, two, three months or so, a lot of uh, oddball discoveries of our archaeological nature. And I feel like that's percolating into something here. Maybe we'll see more of in 2009 – for people, to I'll
0: get I'll get down to um, to uh, Discovery Channel right now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, what about you, Nick? You have your finger on the pulse of a whole bunch of different uh, realms of esoterica. What do you think as far as uh, you know closing out two thousand eight? What's hot? What's not? And uh, what do you see being uh, you know some of the breakout genres or fields or stories mm-hmm. in two thousand nine?
2: Well, you know, I think. From so what we've seen in 2008, I think it's going to be dependent upon how the media responds and promotes, you know, some of the, the key events. You know, the it wouldn't have mattered if, you know, the the, the Georgia Bigfoot hoax had occurred or not. No one would have cared if, if, unless it had got picked up by the media big time. Yeah. So I think, you know, a lot of it is dependent upon how much the interaction the media have with us and the people that investigate these things or they making claims etc um i think i think you're right actually on the on the ghost angle i think you know when it comes to ghosts there's only so much you can do in terms of you know listening to weird noises in a haunted house and with night scopes etc um i would agree with greg about monster quest i enjoy monster quest not just i'm deeply involved in cryptozoology but because I think cryptozoology is one of these subjects that more than any other actually lends itself very well to TV because, you know, if you're talking about, say, Roswell, really all you can do, you know, a typical show pans around the town of Roswell, films the outside of the museum, goes out as close as they can to, to the crash sites, et cetera, et cetera, and does a few head-and-shoulders interviews because it's 60 years ago and there's nothing else to show. Whereas with with cryptozoology, you know, you can go to the Pacific Northwest forests or the Himalayas and, you know, have footage of people trekking through the locations, searching for things that may still be there. And it's kind of like, you know, genuine reality TV. So I think we're going to see more of a push with crypto because it's, you know, it's more immediate and we're actually looking for things that could still be there rather than analyzing a 60-year-old case. Yeah. Um, So I think crypto will keep its momentum. I think the UFO subject will probably pretty much rumble on as it's rumbled on for the last 60 years. You know, we'll have people with different theories talking about different cases. We'll probably have three or four major cases throughout the year which will get occasional interest from the media, which will be talked about for quite a while by the UFO community. Several old dudes will die off. Um, a few, new, you know, a few new people will come along. We'll be arguing about this or that. Yeah. Few new books will come out. More files, and at this time next year, we won't have any more answers.
1: That's uh, yeah, that's a that's a fair assessment, and and it's always impossible to predict the esoteric. Uh, you know, Greg and I had no idea last year when we were talking that this year would have been so full of strange. Uh, failures as far as stories go. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was just thinking to myself, uh you know, we could be sitting around here, the three of us talking next year, and we'll say, you know, who could have guessed that 2009 would have been the year of the abduction? Do you know what I mean? And then it yeah. turns out no, there's... You,
2: you're quite right. Yeah. Things could just smack us out of the blue in the face. You know? Yeah. One thing I would well, know, I hope so. One thing I would just quickly say, I don't want to take any more away from Greg if he wants to chime in. One, one last quick thing would be that, you know, as far as the whole UFO, UFO issue and the, and the subject and the people in it are concerned, you know, I don't, I certainly, joking aside, I don't look forward to the day, you know, when I read on somebody's obituary in the UFO field. Oh, yeah. But I do, but I do think that, you know, when people like yourself, Tim, when you're like 40 or whatever, I would like to think that by then, that the kind of the old guard kind of clenched stranglehold that it's either nuts and bolts or we don't want to know about it would be gone. And the community, you know, in 2020 or whatever, would be looking at some really radical approaches to the subject that might actually get some answers rather than just trying to prop up a 60-year-old theory that everything that's unexplained could be explained as nuts and bolts craft, when there could be more intriguing and interesting aspects to the subject that's, you know, the old guard haven't allowed
0: through the door, so to speak. Yeah. Well, there are a lot of those aspects, and Tim has those aspects on his show a lot. We had talked about them a lot. Um uh, to you know, this, to some so extent, there's a lot. Yeah, well, there are a lot of other people that are doing it. Reagan Lee's Reagan Lee's doing it, and but, well, that's and true, um, I mean, there there are certain just not. It's not happening in the consciousness. That's all.
2: Yeah, certain stalwarts at the conferences who and certain magazines that that wanna just stay in the whole realm of like keyhole era ufology. Yeah. You
1: know, yeah. They exactly. You don't want to get and, away from that. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, things you know, things will move away from that because you know things will change. And um, like I said, this the stuff that that we all discuss and we're interested in talk about have been around for anywhere from five to twenty to thirty to forty years. It's just that not too many people pay attention to them because of the um, the ETH. Um, uh, stranglehold on the on the UFO community, and I think if some of these other aspects that are unpopular start getting looked at, studied, databases mined, different questions asked when you arrive somewhere, that might uh, start to make a difference. Or you know something else that we completely don't even know about yet. Um, that, that you know, I, I said one time that uh, in an interview somewhere, I said I hope there at some point that. In 20 years, somebody comes up with an idea that pisses me off, or even sooner. <laughs> <laughs> I, actually hope so. hope, I actually hope that
2: uh, UFOs are time travelers. Interesting. That would be kind of cool. You hope that what, Nick? I hope that aliens are time travelers, really.
1: And why do you say that?
2: Well, I think that would be kind of a cool theory, you know, the idea that uh, they're not really aliens at all, but they're, you know, us from the future, something <laughs> like that. <laughs> I don't know why. I'm kind of fascinated by the idea that maybe there are us you know, masquerading as, as aliens.
0: I like that idea, too. And in in, um, if Nick has that vote in, my hope is that they're um, discarnate intelligences that uh, occasionally um, incarnate physically once in a while so that we can see them and they can interact with us.
1: All right, then uh, if uh, I'll chime in, and then what was that case that APRO broke, broke uh, way back in the day about the abduction with the woman with the big breasts there? You mean the
0: V.S. Boas case yes. in uh, South America? I'm,
1: I'm hoping just for that.
0: <laughs> I, you know what? I, I, I'll, I'll change my vote. That'll be my number one, <laughs> but I guess that'll be my number two vote. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, and then uh, just to wrap it up, let's talk about the really big, the truly big story of 2008. That was me visiting Bishop. <laughs> <laughs> in in August and then Nick coming out here to Boston to visit me. It was really uh yeah, just, cool. Just to just to sort of break the fourth wall. It was just great to be you guys and uh I have a lot of respect for you guys and, and uh just to be sort of the uh the guy wet behind his ears who's only been in this for like five years to, to be able to hang out with you guys as a as a peer and a colleague was just awesome for me and I appreciate just your kindness and everything, uh, both of you guys and and, and, uh, and Greg taking me in and, and Nick coming to stay with me, so it was awesome.
2: I had, a, I had a cool time hanging out in your dungeon where you do all your radio interviews from.
1: Yeah, that's right. Nick's the only one who's ever seen the Benall of America studio, so.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> all of America dungeon. That's right, yeah, and and he also met my mom. We still... Uh, yeah,
2: yeah, I did. I got to meet the, the Benall family and uh, drink some pumpkin beer and <laughs> Get to see a bit of Boston as well
1: so. Yeah, absolutely Greg, you should have seen uh Nick went to bed and I rushed up to wake him up because the Red Sox had come back uh, from a seven run deficit in the playoffs and I said you've got to come down here and see this I'm screaming my head off like a maniac he said
0: fuck off and he went back to sleep (laughs) yeah yeah that was
2: great I mean baseball and football
1: oh man (laughs) but uh right. I got about ten minutes left on my recorder here so I'll, I'll do the wrap up part and uh what's next for you guys what's going on with the UFO Mystics what's going on with Greg and what's going on with Nick I guess we'll start uh, with Nick here. What's 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 coming up uh, down the pike for you in two thousand nine that people can look forward to?
2: Um well I've actually got several books coming out. I've been a bit of a book fiend on the right in front lately. Um Anomalous books are doing a new book from me called Sci Fi Secrets, which deals with the way in which um, there's been an overlap between the world of science fiction and conspiracies, like for example, um, you know, this whole story about um Spielberg um, possibly, you know, the, the, or specifically more importantly, maybe the uh, day of the earth stood still, the idea that, you know, was there an official interest in trying to promote the film? So it's like a, a cross between how sci-fi and the official world and conspiracy theories have, have crossed paths. So I have that book coming out. So two cryptozoology books coming out, and I'm working on a very weird and controversial book which deals with a think tank group that existed in the government in the 80s and the 90s, which concluded that UFOs had demonic origins. Wow. And, uh, I got hold of some files and done a lot of interviews on this particular subject, and, um, hopefully that one will be out at some point in 2009. That's, that's largely dependent upon Getting more material, not so much writing it. It's just you know, it's just a hard story to follow. That's also sort
1: of Yeah, that sounds like a barn burner. I, I'm looking forward yeah, to hearing the, about that's that. A very weird story. You know. And Greg, what about you? What do we what do we uh, have on tap from Greg Bishop in 2009?
0: Can I just quit right now? Every
1: time Nick Nick's got like eight books coming out. <laughs> oh, I, I was gonna say that's no surprise when he said he had a bunch of books coming out.
0: <laughs> well, I've, um, I'm in discussions with a uh, agent right now for about three or four different books. Having to, some having to do with UFOs type subjects, some not. Um, I've got one that I w- would like to do, but nobody seems to have any interest in. Which will probably be a self-published or a print-on-demand, it has to do with the cattle mutilation phenomenon and, and the non-UFO aspects of it, which I've found quite a bit of, while not denying that part of it, but looking into the parts of it that don't really have anything to do with aliens and UFOs and all that, which I guess is sure to piss off some people that uh, might might scare the beef industry.
1: I don't know. Nice, nice. So we've got two books coming out, one from Nick and one from you that are going to scare people, so that's... <laughs> and funny. UFO mystic
0: will keep going along it 's funny, I mean Nick has noticed this too i mean i 'll go through periods where i don 't have anything to say and don 't care about the subject at all, and then i 'll go through a period of like a, two or three weeks where i can 't shut up about it, and then you know i 'll have you know a post every day yeah. um, Nick just seems to plod along and and do what he needs to do, and uh, if he can 't find something he 'll link to something that's you know that people haven 't really heard about and that could lead to something else and um, that seems to be his um, part of the of UFO mystic. When I when I get lazy, um, and then for a month I wasn't doing anything because I was working on the film with Paul Kimball, and I was just basically getting two or three hours of sleep every day, and I didn't really, I couldn't really think of anything to write. And Nick held down the fort then and did it very well. So um, I don't have any plans to leave town for long periods of time in 2009. So. Nice. nice.
1: And I know that you, uh, let's also plug here a couple plugs that we want to get in. Uh, Nick, you are a contributor for Daily Grail's uh, Dark Lore Volume 2. I'm good Mm -hmm. friends with Greg Taylor over there at Daily Grail, and I want to make sure we get a plug in for that. People should definitely pick up Dark Lore Volume 2. And, uh, Greg, you just launched the uh, Radio Mysterioso website. Is that radiomysterioso.com?
0: Yes, it is. Oh, there was one other thing since you mentioned the Dark Lord. I just got an email from Greg Taylor today, and I have uh, an article already written that I wrote a couple of years a few years ago about um alien writing researcher Mario Pozzaglini, and it's basically kind of a biography of him and all of his his influences and things that he was doing that his colleagues, you know, he was a clinical psychologist. A lot of people didn't know he was into the alien writing thing and esoterica and the occult and, you know, so that's a very interesting story. I think that may be going in Dark Lord 3. But the uh, Radio Mysterioso site, yeah, I I finally, after talking to Miles Lewis from Anomaly Radio, who's been um, basically you know, holding my hand for the last few years to get some of my stuff out on the net, he um, explained to me how to In specific terms, how to load up shows. So I've got um, uh, interviews from all the way from over 10 years ago up to now that uh, I've been digging through all my files and tapes and CDs and everything. And um, every few days or every week or so, I'm going to put up a new show. Uh, I just put up one with uh, Pamela Stonebrook, who is the reptilian sex uh, <laughs> woman for a while.
1: Nice, nice. Yeah, so definitely people should check that out because it sounds like there's going to be a lot of uh, cool hidden gems that are going to be coming down the pike at uh, Radiomisterioso.com, And a bunch more
0: from Bill Moore, who I, things that I've never posted before that uh, have never been rebroadcast, and people
1: seem to really like those. Nice, yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing those things. Uh, what can I say here? Three hours plus talking about the year 2008. I can't thank you guys enough for taking part in this historic uh, dual guest broadcast. Hopefully I held up my end of the bargain, did a pretty good job moderating. I did the best I could on <laughs> having never done this thing before, but I, I had a great time talking to you guys, and uh, it, it worked out perfectly exactly the way I wanted it to. uh devolved into a conversation instead of just a uh, – a timeline of talking points, and we still did all the big events, but we also discussed them and sort of shared ideas and, and shared perspectives. So I can't thank you enough. As I pointed out, I had a chance to spend some great quality face time with both of you guys this year, and it was a really a thrill for me. And I can't thank you enough for coming back on BOA Audio, and hopefully this is the beginning of a new tradition on the program where we dissect the previous year and I really would like to probably have you guys both back on again sometime in the future just to do a straight-up ufology episode where we're not, uh, you know, encumbered by just talking about one particular year's events. But I uh, just really want to thank you guys again for coming on the show. Nick, thank you very much.
2: All right. Well, thanks, Tim. I appreciate you. I had a good time.
1: And, Greg, thank you very much,
0: sir. Thank you. You always do a great job, and I'll, I'll come on and talk about anything, anytime.
1: Wow. All right. That does it for the 2008 Year in Ufology double guest double double-episode, all-in-one-week extravaganza. It uh, really wasn't that painful, surprisingly, and I'm stunned that we managed to get the episodes out right on the schedule we had planned, especially considering our erstwhile style of posting shows. I'm stunned, really, that this is going to be in people's hands on January 2nd. Of course, huge, huge thanks to the UFO mystics, Nick Redfern and Greg Bishop. They are amazing, good friends of mine, and, as I said, highly decorated esoteric researchers. They are tops in this field, folks. Hopefully, if you didn't know much about Nick Redfern and Greg Bishop, you do now after this marathon conversation, and you want to find out more about them, so here's how you do it. You go to nickredfern.com. That's sort of a hub. It'll take you to all the great Nick Redfern penned blogs. And or you want to find out about Greg Bishop, you check out ExcludedMiddle.com or Radio Misterioso, R-A-D-I-O-M-I-S-T-E-R-I-O-S-O.com. Radio Mysterioso, if you're not listening to that, you're missing out, check it out, add it to your esoteric audio playlist. You might want to start listening to it while we're on hiatus here in January. might be a good fill-in for BOA Audio while I'm cultivating new shows. So check out Radio Mysterioso, awesome, awesome program. And hopefully by now you know that you can find great stuff from Nick and Greg daily at ufomystic.com com. Check that out. Outstanding website. Should be a daily stopping point for anyone looking for cool UFO news. Up next, I'm going to disappoint you a little bit and I apologize in advance. I know I promised... The anti-Gian email here for BOA Audio listener feedback, but I had a little change of heart. I don't want to close out the year on a negative note. So we're going to go with the old standby, a little feedback from me to you. I've already gushed about how great this audience is several times already this season, but I'm going to do it once more. Thank you for a great year here at BOA. You keep downloading those shows, you keep sending those emails, you keep looking out for this program like you always do. And I'm going to keep doing what I do, and hopefully 2009 is going to be awesome. I look back on 2008, and I'm amazed by some of the names and some of the people we talked to. Jacques Vallée, Linda Moulton Howe, Bill Burns, South African UFOs, French UFOs, the 100th episode with George Knapp, and then really to round out 2008, just three back-to-back-to-back home-run episodes with the incomparable Stan Friedman, of course, in the Christmas special, and then this double episode double guest, all all-in-one-week extravaganza that was the 2008 year in ufology. What a year! I'm blown away. I'm almost breathless here, running down some of the crazy stuff that went on on this program in 2008. So, you know, just thanks, everybody. I appreciate it. I hope you had a great New Year's celebration, and come on back in about four weeks for a whole new slew of BOA Audio episodes. I suppose we can just reveal one of the names now since I teased it at the beginning of the program and uh, there really is no next week preview, so sometime coming up when we return to the airwaves, probably not the first week back, but I'd say maybe the second or third, depending on who we return with as a guest, I can tell you that we'll be having Betty Mailer on. She is the head of the UFO Society of Ireland. We're going to be calling all the way over to Ireland to talk Irish UFOs, Irish esoterica with Betty Mailer. Very Captivating and charismatic woman, a very fascinating and enlightening episode. You're really going to dig it, I think. More international UFO interviews coming up in 2009. Stay tuned to BOA, as always, for more information. I guess we'll wrap up the BOA Audio listener feedback portion of the show here, even though we've kind of gone off the beaten path into a whole different tangent. I promise we'll have the anti-Gian anti-Barina Triangle email on the very first episode we come back. I just didn't want to close out what's been a great ongoing vibe the last few weeks with what I thought was a little bit of a negative point of view on what's been going on here on the show. But hey, it's always good to have a little teaser, I guess, for people to come back after the break. You're going to want to just come back for that. I hope not, but maybe some folks will. So come on back for that. And if you want to be a part of BOA Audio listener feedback, there's three ways to do it. Either write to Audio at hotmail.com or or simply go to Benallofamerica.com and click the contact button. That's pretty much the easiest way. And the third way is the most interactive. It is joining up at the official Benal of America forum, theusofe.com, T-H-E-U-S-O-F-E.com. Quite a little community that I love being a part of, and I hope you join up and join in on some of our fun times and hijinks. So send me your emails, some of your stuff, I'll put it in the mailbag and chances are I'll get back to you right away because I'll be on break here. And hopefully you'll be featured in a future edition of BOA Audio Listener Feedback. I'm going to try and make it a little more regular feature when we come back from break so we can get more emails read. But we like to tinker, as you know, here with the format at the end. Let's roll through the list here of the infamous and esteemed BOA staff. Big thanks to them, of course, not just for helping out with this episode, but also with helping out admin all of america for all of 2008 great group of folks if the boa readers and listeners are the fuel that drives the machine then the boa staff is the oil that keeps the whole operation running smoothly leslie chiron arlie joe v tina center Rochelle hawks and richard thomas from wales they are my esoteric warriors and i would not want to go into battle without them by my side they're the best the BOA staff. Thank you so much for all your contributions in 2008 and I look forward to working with all of you in 2009. B-I-double-N-A-double-L-of-America.com. if you haven't visited the website yet, if you haven't read the columns, you got to break on through to the other side. BOA make it a part of your everyday search for esoteric news and opinion. I'm going to pull a shocker here my friends and not ask for any donations. I just wouldn't feel right asking for donations if we're not going to be doing episodes for the month of January. This isn't like the season finale when we try to clear the books and get things ready for the following season. This is just a little mini break, and uh, like I said, I wouldn't feel right asking for donations from folks, especially in this tight financial times, and when we're not going to be putting out episodes for a month. But I'll be back to asking you for money as soon as I come back on the air. I'll be asking you for money. Don't you worry about that. But until then, put your wallet back in your pocket and enjoy the month of January. And big thanks again to everybody who was part of the Secret Santa campaign at BOA and made donations. You know who you are. You are my Secret Santas. And I humbly thank you and appreciate your donation over the holiday season. Next week on the program, there is no next week. Haven't you been paying attention? We'll be back at the end of January. Betty Mailer is one of the guests. I already told you that. I have a ton of other guests lined up that I'm going to be interviewing over the next few weeks. It feels weird saying goodbye, but I'll be back at the end of January, I promise. Thank you for all your support throughout 2008. Have a great first month of 2009. You'll be hearing from me again at the end of January. Until then, this is Tim Banall signing off.